Hi, I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to hear Peyton Jones' story, church planting ninja and uh, author of Church Plantology, The Art and Science of Planting Churches. You can find uh, Peyton at ministryninja.com. The gospel, the way that I got into the gospel was, uh, first off, I believed it, and I don't mean that tongue-in-cheek, but I actually did not, uh, was not raised in a Christian home. So I knew what it was to walk uh, without a knowledge of Christ, to be alienated. I knew what that was. And then to come into church, and it was like going through C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe and finding Narnia on the other end and thinking, I didn't know this world existed. So for me, the gospel was huge. In fact, right after I got saved, I called my best friend up and said, hey, you... Uh, you need to know we've been wrong about everything, and Jesus died for us. And if you don't believe in him, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> I was a terrible evangelist, but he just, he said to me, we were teenagers, he said to me on the other end of the phone, okay, let's do it then. And I said, okay, uh, I don't know what to do here, but uh, I think we pray this prayer. And and I, you know, I I didn't know anything back then. I mean, I... <laughs> And I thought, this is easy, right? Like, that's all you do. I can do this. And, uh, and <laughs> of course, that it, it wasn't always that easy. But um, I had a fire lit in me um, just to share the gospel with everybody. Um, and as a young man, that's what I did. I, I, everywhere I went from day one, I would start sharing the gospel. I'd go to the beach. I did not like as a young red-blooded male to share with pretty girls. So I would steer clear of them that somehow my my ego and my my embarrassment and my buddy would say, hey, that's not right, man. Come on, I'll go talk to him, you wuss. And he'd go talk to him. And then uh, so God really started helping me get over myself. Well, one day I was walking home from school and uh, there was all these kids sitting up on a wall, a bunch of teenagers. I was a teenager. I was walking home from high school. And one of them asked me sitting on the on the wall, hey, you a virgin? And there's probably 10 kids. And I was at that time. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I am. I said, and they all started laughing. And I said, but by choice, it's not like I haven't had opportunity or anything. You know, the reason that I'm still a virgin is because I gave my life to God. And I told him from now on, I do what pleases you. And to the best of my ability, yada, yada. And it was like this stunned silence. Well, that day, like half of those kids walked away saved. Wow. Because I just stood there. They're all sitting on this, this wall and I'm walking down this alley and, you know, half of them, some of them, oh, I'm taking off. And it was like, it was like the power of the Holy Spirit just fell on this alley. And, you know, like I said, I'm like 15, 16 years old. And I have n- like nothing. I don't know a whole bunch, but from a young age, I just started telling everyone I could about Jesus. And of course, then when I started reading, like, I, I'm going to go old school here, but I was, I was handed by the guy that led me to Jesus. He handed me, and you're going to laugh at this, Lectures of My Students by Charles Spurgeon and Sermon on the Mount by Lloyd-Jones and said, read these and study them. Then he went off to San Diego to become an evangelist. And he was, he was my student teacher at my school. He was leading a bunch of us to Christ. 
he takes off, goes to Horizon School of Evangelism, and um, and I'm stuck here with this Lloyd Jones book and Spurgeon trying to figure out what in the heck is this guy saying in Victorian English. But I'm working through it, and I'm getting the gospel just downloaded into my heart, and uh, just. They just kept reinforcing God's grace, God's love for all people, the the offer, the open invitation of the gospel, all that stuff. And so, yeah, that that was the gospel. As far as discipleship, um, I, I have this theory that we disciple how we ourselves were discipled. And uh, sadly, I think most people aren't discipled. So therefore, they don't disciple. And when you tell them they should disciple, they agree and say, yeah, I, I, of course, yes, that would be good. That would be fine. That would be swell. But the question for them is how? And we don't really do a great job. And I know movements and I know your work, Steve, you, you're really practical and help people understand how to do it. And I think that's the resurgence that we've seen recently in discipleship. Well, for me, the guy led me uh, to just sit down and read. I remember we read through first John, you know, um, uh, he who is from the beginning, which our hands have touched, our eyes have looked at, our ears have heard him. We proclaim to you concerning the word of life that, you know, on and on. And, and uh, right this through your joy me before. I mean, by now I've, I've got the whole like thing memorized because I've now taken so many people through first John, but he would sit there with me over a, a Coke or a cup of coffee or whatever it was. And he'd say, what do you think John means here? And I'd say, oh, I don't know. <laughs> he means we should follow Jesus. Yeah, but look how he says this. What, why do you think he says it? And he would just pick it apart. He was, he was literally expositing, but through questioning. He was getting me to work it out. It just, I fell in love with it. Things started clicking. And we would do that all the time. And so when it came to me first realizing, like I eventually a few years later became a youth pastor and none of my kids were coming to Jesus. And one, I was preaching my heart out, bless me. I was trying. And, uh, I remember one day I was watching cartoons and, uh, I felt the Holy spirit just say, get up right now and go to Nick's house. I I had a small little youth group at the church I was going to. And I, I went, huh, that was funny. Kept watching cartoons. And uh, then it was like God yelling at me, like, get up now and go to Nick's house. Now, I'll I'll tell you, I'm not a freaky weirdo. I I am one of those weirdos who believes the Holy Spirit's real and he speaks to us. But this wasn't my everyday experience. So to really feel that was kind of striking. And I I got in my car and I drove the two blocks. It's how lazy I was. Uh, It's a good thing they didn't pay me much as a youth pastor. And I literally showed up at his house, knocked on his door. His dad said, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm here to see Nick. And he goes, oh, he's, he's lazy. He's in his room. So I go into his room. He literally goes, hey, lazy, wake up. And wakes up Nick. Nick's 16 years old. I sit down on the bed. I have no idea. Hey, Nick, I'm here uh, to talk to you this morning. How you doing? I was trying to make conversation. He was basketball, baseball. I'm not a sports guy. And eventually I said, hey, you know, um, I see your Bible over there. What if? what if you and me went through first John every week? Would, would you be cool with that? And uh, he was okay. So we cracked open first John. And as we're talking, I mean, I'm not even like, I'm not even done reading the scripture yet. As I start reading it, this tear rolls down his face and I'm like, I, I just ignore it. Well, anyways, he gives his heart to the Lord that day. And, uh, 
you know, maybe a year later, he told me, hey, it was really weird you came over to my house that day. Um, I was, well, all my friends and I were going out to uh, to go do drugs that night. And we'd all agreed we we're going to take like whatever was there at this one party okay. and this and that. And he goes, I think he yanked me out in time because all my friends are super jacked up now. Right. Yeah. And he said, so. I think God, this is in hindsight now, he's gone to be with the Lord since, but um, that was a wake up call for me that, okay, so I need to actually pursue these kids, Mm -hmm. right? Like pursue them outside of like a meeting. That was huge to me. And that's what I did is I would just literally go pursue them and make a point. And, And again, no great secret. I'd walk him through First John, and that's where my theory comes from. We disciple like we're, at. and so far walking people through First John seems to work really good <laughs> for the discipleship. So the I, way that I got into movements was really the story of uh, the day that I quit ministry, and the reason I put it in that context was I went overseas. I left this big mega church that I had spoken about already. I was at the helm of this mega church, set to become. It's next pastor. Uh, and I was 24, 25 years old, I think, and had a preaching gift that far excelled my um, <laughs> maturity for sure. But uh, on my honeymoon, I felt God speak to me and say, you're not to take this church, which it was in Huntington Beach, California. It was everybody's ministerial dream to have this thing. It was a mega church. Um, you got all the toys and goodies. But God was calling me to something deeper. And I already knew I was called to Wales as a missionary. Well, I did go to Wales and I start off as the evangelist at Martin Lloyd Jones Church. Um, that was totally sovereign, uh, not coincidence. Um, definitely, a, a, I, I didn't engineer it, I didn't hook it up. Um, but I served there for a number of years, helped them plan a church out. And then went to go pastor a Reformed Baptist church that kicked me in the teeth. Now, the good news is we have since healed this breach uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. However, at the time, it broke my pastoral heart. And I, I was so disappointed with God. I was angry at him. I did. I tried to do everything right. In fact, uh, I talk about it um, in in the book that I just wrote. I talk about some of the stuff we used to do with college students and these highly interactive um, meetings, discussion groups that were very evangelistic. And uh, and and as all this stuff was growing that we were doing in neutral venues and public space, the church leadership was getting more and more threatened. And so when there became a movement, the leadership split down the middle. This American guy is too radical. We don't know. You know, he's breaking everything up. Welsh speakers are coming to the English service uh, or these English things that would never go to the Welsh service at the church. And it was creating all these cultural uh, problems. And uh, here's this American ignorant guy in the middle has no clue what's going on. And but I I quit. I told God, look, I, I am done. Um trying to uh, fight through Christians to reach lost people. I'm just done. And if this is ministry, you can have it. I love you, God. I'm mad at you, but I definitely don't want to work for you anymore. And I quit. I went to work uh, as a Starbucks barista. I was finishing up an MA in theology and uh, just started making coffee for the masses because I figured what good I did in ministry, people need good coffee. So that's a ministry uh, in and of itself. I'll keep doing that. And as I did... um, Uh, people kept coming through the bar saying, hey, you know, what uh, What are you doing here with an accent like that? 
And I said, well, you know, I'm a church planner. Or excuse me, I said, I'm a minister. I wasn't a church planner yet. I'd been a part of a number of church plants. But I said, oh, I'm a minister. And they said, well, where's your church? And uh, I said, oh, I I don't have any. Um, I'm like little Bo Peep has no sheep. And eventually they said, man, if, if, if you ever were a pastor of a church, I would totally come. And, you know, that's all personality. That's, that's empty and meaningless, but they eventually. Because the coffee was so good. No, it was Starbucks. It tasted burnt, but uh, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so what happened was I, I went home and I said, God, so many people are asking me about this and I want them to know you, but I told you I quit ministry. So you are going to have to do the heavy lifting here. I'm not, I'm not moving a, an inch. I'm not lifting a finger. I, I did all that whole trying to make stuff happen for years and you're God. You don't need me in the middle of this equation. So, uh, if you want it to happen, make it happen. I'll do it, you know, and, uh, <laughs> that's where I was at with God. I know it's not pretty, but that's where I was. And that night, uh, I was chucking out uh, muffins in the back room with my manager at Starbucks. And he said, hey, Jonesy, the district manager says we don't have enough social events here. So I need a quick fix. Can you do one of your churchy things here? You know, you're a, you're a minister and stuff. And, and I just remember looking at God like, you got me. You got me. Okay. And I said, you know, as a matter of fact, I was going to talk to you about that. I was wondering if we could do a reading group. He goes, that's excellent. What do you, because we're in a borders book. So we ran this Da Vinci code. I said, you know, it'd be cool if we could serve like free food, like for this event and free coffee. He goes, I can do half price on food and free coffee. Okay, deal. We'll do it. I'll pay the food. <laughs> we'll chop up the, 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 all the, all the, the goodies into quarters, you know, that'll save me some money. And that night, 30 Europeans turned up, 30, British people turned up one talk about Jesus for me trying to get that many people. Um, I, I've been there seven years. I can do that. If I tried, um, they, at the end of that night, they say, Hey, can we do that again? I said, no, that'd be stupid. <laughs> you know, we just did it. And remember, I don't want to be in a, in ministry. I don't want a church plant. They said, no, no, please, please. We'll do it again. And I said, well, like what do you guys want to pick a different book? Like life of uh pie by Yen Martel. I mean, that's, I'm thinking in the back of that's universalism. We could tackle that one together. Uh, we already debunked Dan Brown, introduced him to Jesus. They go, no, no, we want to talk about Jesus again. Thinking up, oh, here we go. Second night, 40 people turn up. Third night, I do it again. 50 people turn up. Now these are not Christians. This thing is just growing. And at the end of the the third night, this lady says, like, as if she's just thought of the most punk rock idea ever. She says, hey, you know, you know how, like, there's the phony gospels, like the Gnostic ones. What if, now just hear me out on this, what if we went through the gospels, like the real ones together as a group? And everybody went, no way. Could we do that? Whoa. And like, there was this like excitement in the room. And I'm like, Okay, yes, we will do this. And immediately I grabbed a friend of mine and said, you need to take this thing because I ain't doing this. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll come with, I'll, I'll tag team it with you, but you better stay. So I was making plans to come back to America. Well, five years later, I was still there. And the way I got into movements was, you know, I, I look back to that whole thing was my breaking period. I wanted not, that was the cleanest holiest thing I ever did because I wanted nothing for myself. I I didn't want anything. I literally just wanted people to know Jesus. 
And there was this breaking that happened. You know, when you go from being the head of a mega church when you're really young to then being at Lloyd Jones's church, I was the evangelist, wasn't the head pastor, but there's still this kind of golden boy syndrome that sets in. And Jesus just had to break me of that. And, and it was that, you know, like I said, ministry started for me the day I quit. Um, this apostolic thing started kind of kicking off inside my chest. It was like, it's not about me. It's about Jesus, about his glory and empowering and equipping everyone else around me. That's my job. I didn't believe theologically in the past yet. I just knew that if I were going to serve God, it was going to be all about equipping others and getting out of the way because that's what started happening. And so we started planning churches out of that. Um, back then it was, I started a network called New Breed, which came out of that because in Wales, there was nothing. I mean, there was no church planning movement at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we started it. We had no clue what we were doing. But um, my passion since then, uh, and this is why people nicknamed me the Ninja Planner, because I started reading the scripture and going, Paul planted and moved on. I think that's what I'm called to do. I'm, I'm not a guy who's called to stay in one spot. But even now, like as, as I moved on, I kept realizing, uh, even if I'm an equipper, um, it's not about ministers. It's about, and you'll understand this being <laughs> Steve Addison, that um, the Acts 2 people, you know, the, the thing that started to really enthrall me was how did Antioch get planted? It was planted because the people in Acts 2.42 had been so well discipled by one another that when you spread them out, churches just naturally got planted. And that, to me, is just, that is the secret to all of it, to be honest. Mm. So often when we look at shifts like that, there's a major shift in your life. We feel like it's a skill thing. Oh, he just saw we need to multiply, you know, like it's an equation. But what you're saying is there had to be a shift first in your heart before you could see it. And that was a painful unraveling, but at the same time a gift from God because I imagine that was quite freeing to come to that point. You know, Steve, when I look when I look now, like at that young guy that was 20-something years old, had I disobeyed and taken that church plant, I wouldn't be in ministry today. I, I, I'd probably be an alcoholic. I don't think I'd be married. I mean, if I look back, it, it, Lord knows whether or not I'd still be walking with Jesus or not. It probably would have destroyed me. Hmm. And, you know, yeah, I mean, every, everything that's happened to me, man, has been because God just deeply loves me. <laughs> <laughs> and knows I'm a knucklehead. So that that's that's you know, that's been God's mercy to me, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I've been uh reading your book and reading some of these stories about whales and I think was it Huntington Beach or no long long beach? Was, well, yeah. So I, I it was Long Beach I came back to and planted, yeah. Yeah. And what I'm loving about it is is your experience in the field. And not just church planting skills or movement skills and ideas, but that shaping in your life. But I'm also loving it because you've got into the scriptures. You've looked at the ministry of Jesus as a movement founder and Paul. Um, so tell us a bit about what, as, as God's doing this shift in you, 
What are you discovering in the scriptures about what it takes to see multiplication movements? Right. So, I mean, you know, one of, one of the coolest things that I thought was I had no clue what I was doing. It was, it was definitely every time I planted a church, it was ground zero with the Holy Spirit all over again. Because whatever I did in the last church plant was not going to, whatever happened in Wales wasn't going to help me in Long Beach. You know, it's just you and the Holy Spirit all over again. And as I was reading in the scripture, so much of the stuff we do, like public space ministry, like house to house temple courts, it was the temple court stuff that, you know, when you plant a church in a Starbucks accidentally and God's the prime mover, you're not, you know, this is the thing. It sounds really cool and sexy, but I didn't do it. I mean, literally, I was a spectator. I asked God to do the heavy lifting, and he did. But temple courts and public space became a passion. Like, mm. wow, you know, the the disciples, they did all this rad stuff. And so much of what we would go, I, I eventually did come to APAS team ministry. Um, I began to realize I am, you know, like if I say I'm apostolic and others are prophetic and others are evangelists, shepherd teacher, the Alan Hurst stuff. I, I came to realize that as a confession of weakness, not strength. What I'm saying in that is I see one thing. I don't see the four other things that these other functions see. And so it's not like, a, I'm an apostolic leader. It's, no, I'm confessing my weakness. This I have tunnel vision. I see what apostolics tend to see. And, and all of us need, I need those other four around me. And Church Plantology, the book, really unpacks that. And and what I would say is, you know, as I'm as I'm looking, you know, at all these things on the ground that were just popping for us missionally, we I guess I, I love the scripture, but I was too thick, I guess, to look at it and figure it out first and then go do it. Okay. It was retroactive. It was, you know, reverse engineering. Like we go do something and then f- come back to the scripture and say, wow, this stuff is in here. What I began to gather a love for, Steve, was um, like the the greetings, like the parting shots that Paul would give to the church. You know, when he, you know, that the, that last part of the chapter, you know, whatever book you're teaching through, whatever epistle, the Romans 16, the, you know, oh my gosh, that stuff's gold. Do you realize what he's saying here? Do you, because I began to realize it was almost like the anatomy and physiology of a first century missional movement. That's that was the good stuff for me. I'd start to get into that stuff and go, okay, if I put this together with what Luke records, and then I look at this and I and and I I would say in church plantology, there's almost like a theology of planting that's 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 put there. There's a couple things that I, I point out. Number one, church planting wasn't a focus, it was the result. It it was it was a result of all the other stuff they were doing. Um, number two, um, it it was something where Paul was allowed to fail forward and learn. We we forget that the, at the end of the missionary journey, uh, his first missionary journey, Paul really had a, a not a great team. Let's be honest with him. Um, he didn't have a team mentality. It was just him, Barnabas, and then they let John Mark tag along. But he wasn't really in that team dynamic yet. He wasn't picking people up like Timothy and discipling them on the way and you know activating them and deploying them. He started doing that because of the failure he had in Galatia. When he gets back to Antioch for that year, he hears about the heresy and he goes, okay, on my first rodeo, 
I did not do so well. I, you know, the, the churches in Galatia are all falling off the horse now. I need to go back there and, and give them some some stirrups and give them some some spurs and you know, kind of do this better. So he goes back through. This time he starts depositing people, picking people up, training them, depositing before he moves on. And that became, you know, again, if you want to look at his discipleship, if you want to, you know, whatever you want to look at it as. Paul was learning. He was switching it up. So all these things started becoming things I was learning from, uh, kind of like him on his success. Each time I planted a church, it was like I was learning completely new things and finding things in the scripture. And then I just finally learned, just really study the scripture and learn because even Jesus, like Jesus's missional practice, how strategic Jesus actually was we 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 often just think he was a guy that went around just doing miracles and telling stories and parables and occasionally teaching and you know on the run from you know Johnny Law Sanhedrin but not really realizing oh my gosh Jesus was such a strategic missionary the way he did and and so I really try to unpack that a bit too yeah i i uh, i just looking up one of the 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 quotes that Jumped out of the page at me. He says, most planters establish churches that depend on the charisma and leadership of the planter. The difference between this and what Paul did is he sustained a movement that would outlast it. Hmm. So you want to unpack that? How did Paul sustain and, and Jesus sustain a movement that would outlast it? Well, you know, it's funny because uh, on Paul's second missionary journey, he really starts um, training people and and bringing them with them, and which I, I don't think we really realize. <laughs> Paul clues in, and I really unpack this a bit. That Paul clues in. Oh, wait, that's what Jesus did for three years. Yeah. I, I think I need to do that, and I and I really kind of have a whole section about what Paul learned from Jesus. Um, and, and because we don't often connect what Paul was doing, he finds what Jesus is doing later and starts doing it. And so as, as Paul starts really kind of recruiting, not just 12, but 32 named individuals that he, you know, interchanges all over, there, there's more. I mean, you're reading Romans 16 going, these are just some of the people he's worked with that are in Rome. Imagine the roster from all these places. Well, and he'd never visited Rome at that stage. He'd never been to Rome he yet. Knows all these people. I mean, that's after his third missionary journey. He is just, you know, I tell people that when he gets to Ephesus, because here's what happens on the second missionary journey, he gets just the snot beat out of him. And he goes and recuperates in Corinth for 18 months. He stops it. He has, he's busted up. I don't think people realize quite how busted up Paul was. I, I lay that out as well. But he he gets there, and then he before he goes back to Antioch again, home base, he stops off in Ephesus, and then he says, if I can, spirit permitting, I'll be back here. Well, he does go back there in his third missionary journey. He does go back. And this time, he decides he's going to um, stay. Stay in one place, something Paul's never done. On average, he planned every three to four months. Now he's spending three years in the Hall of Tyrannus lecturing. And it says, so that the gospel went to all the region of Asia. Now, how did that happen? Well, Paul obviously, and, and it's, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Ott uh, in global church planning that said this only makes sense if you understand that Paul, like, and, and this is referring to Romans 15, where Paul says, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I have fulfilled 
the task uh, uh, assigned to me. Here comes the train. <laughs> That's all right. Northbound train, I got to pause for. He, he honks that horn right out in front of me. Okay, here we go. So, Paul in Romans 15 is saying, From Jerusalem to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry in the region. There's now no place left. So, what Paul is saying is, I had this assignment. I basically went all around the Mediterranean and he plants seven, some would argue, eight networks, right? Mm-hmm. So, think about that. Paul was already thinking in networks uh, of movements. So when he says to the Thessalonians, he's only stayed there two weeks, right? So how does he say, oh, I rejoice that the gospel spread out to you into all the region? Because he's left people there that are finding others who can teach others. Like there's this domino effect that's going on. So Paul is literally reproducing himself. And so in his second missionary journey, when he goes to prison um, and he spends a lot of time in prison, he thinks, hmm, okay, now I can only be at one place at one time. So I'm probably going to spend a lot more time in prison if I keep moving around. So I'm going to find a safe spot. I'm going to go to Ephesus. I'm going to rent the Hall of Tyrannus. And out of there, he plants the seven churches of Asia. Well, then when we see him in Acts 20, verse 4, after it says the gospel goes to all the region, he then is traveling with eight people we've never heard of. right? And he's broken them into um, ethnicities, which I think is just, again, the more you read the New Testament, the more you're like, okay, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, multi-use space building or multi-use buildings, Paul was there. You know, church and public space, uh, Jesus was there. Everybody was there before us. Like, like this is why the book is called Church Plantology, this art and science of planting churches, because everybody right now, Steve, wants to be a guru. They want to be the latest, like, fad guru of ministry and have the, you know, tweetable tweet. I have zero interest in that. I feel like a scientist because what explorers or what inventors do is they invent. What scientists do is they they rediscover, as Newton put it. They're discovering what's already there, right? This stuff has already been there. We just haven't seen it. What I want to do is put a microscope on the practices of Paul and see things that with our naked eye we haven't seen and allow people to see oh, all these things that missionaries know <laughs> that we don't in the West all these things that um, church starting won't tell you, but church planting will, true biblical church planting, you'll get all this. Like, I know your audience is going to resonate, and they're going to get this right away. And what I often hear is people will say, this is our book. We've been waiting for a book like this. This is the book for our movement. This is the book for our philosophy of ministry. So it'd be like, uh, if I could compare a lot of church planning books, not all, there's some good church planning books out there. So please don't misunderstand this, but a lot of them are what... I would call church starting. We're just grabbing a sexy logo, grabbing a catchy church name, grabbing a bunch of people, trying to build a crowd. Um, that's not church planning. Church planning is the hard work of sowing the seeds of the gospel and discipling people. And the movement that happens afterward is the church plant that's a result. So, um, so what I like to tell people is, you know, maybe you've been <laughs> you've been reading books that are operating off of like an Android you know, internal operating system. This is like going to Apple or if you're, if you're, if you're anti-Apple, think of it the other way around. It's going to a whole complete new system, a new operating. This book is the book for people that come from the APES tribe or come from the missional tribe or or discipleship making movements tribe. Uh, Right now, like I'm, I'm working with missionary agencies are going, Oh, this will preach overseas. 
in developing nations. But it's the church planning book, I think, that operates from a set of New Testament. Well, that's all we have time for today. You can visit ministryninja.com to connect with Peyton and find out uh, more about church plantology, the art and science of church planting. Don't forget you can visit movements.net and find out how you can sign up for the 40-day challenge, the challenges going from Genesis to Revelation, discovering God's story and your part in it. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. 